Welcome to the Global Health Collective, a podcast sharing with you practical and cutting-edge ways to make change in your community. Current global health challenges are complex, from the rising burden of disease to the climate crisis to health disparities. These are the same challenges impacting our local communities. The world needs each and every one of us to come together to create solutions. Hi, I'm Shania Bopa, your podcast host. I'm a student in the Masters of Science in Global Health Program at McMaster University and executive director of the nonprofit organization, the Canadian Courage Project. With a focus on the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, I will be calling on the world's leading changemakers to talk health and sustainable development and share their stories on how we can make change today. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. This is our final episode of season one with a focus on the sustainable development goals. Now, we have a brilliant leader in global health here with us today, Dr. Peter Singer. He is special advisor to the director general of the World Health Organization and assistant director general of the World Health Organization. He is here to offer us inspiration in achieving our goals as we approach the new year. Dr. Peter Singer, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be with you. How are you today? And you're back in Canada? Yes. And it's great to be back in Canada. Amazing. So first question, what is a project you are currently working on? And what were you doing in Geneva the past couple months? What I've been doing is the same thing I've been doing since I came here in 2017. I came with Dr. Tedros who became director general in 2017. And really my role has been to support his vision of transforming uh, the World Health Organization into a highly results-focused organization. So we started out by focusing on results at the country level, designing a strategy with quantitative targets, billion more people with universal health coverage, billion people better protected from health emergencies, billion people living healthier lives through multi-sectoral things, clean water, et cetera, in a five-year period. And uh, then we figured out a way to measure it, a way to drive change using that strategy and uh, a lot of other things from there. And of course, now with COVID, um, the issue is going to be to end the pandemic, learn those lessons uh, from COVID and uh, ensure that they are well integrated back onto a highly, highly results focused platform. And you have an extreme amount of experience in the field. You have all the education to back you up in your role. And I'm just curious, from where you are now today, working on everything that you are working on, what is one piece of advice you would have given your 22-year-old self? One piece of advice I would have given my 22-year-old self is to find a problem and solve it. And solve the problem that's right in front of you. And if not a lot of people are solving that same problem, that's okay. So, you know, for example, one of the early problems I took on was the problem of, was the problem of end of life care. A little past 22, but not too much. I came back and was working at one of the hospitals in Toronto on a general internal medicine ward. And even as a student at the time on a general internal medicine ward, you know, there's a, unfortunately a pretty high death rate of in an internal medicine ward. And the problem I was interested in solving at that time was quality end of life care. You know, people often died, sadly, in pain, 
apart from their families sometimes, hooked up to life support machines. That was a serious issue, still is, and an example of one of the first problems that I worked on. Of course, didn't completely solve it, but I think did make some inroads in making it better. So my advice is find a problem and solve it. Would you say find one problem and solve that one problem and kind of focus? Or do you think that it's possible to touch on a couple issues at the same time? One at a time. They figure out what is the most significant problem that's closest to you that you can actually work on and solve and solve it to the best of your ability. I'm going to give you a concrete example related to end-of-life care and a mistake that I made. I had come back. I was starting to work in end-of-life care. I was doing research um, in the context of medicine. And I was also doing clinical care, as I mentioned, caring for patients on a ward, sadly, many of whom died. Rather than focusing right on the, uh, if you will, laboratory in front of me and the people I was taking care of and figuring out how to improve the end of life care with the problem right in front of my nose, I started sending questionnaires to long-term care facilities around living wills. So Focus is really important, even within a domain, and pick the most accessible focus, the most tractable focus um, that you can uh, work on. You know, in the area of global health, if you're a RNA scientist graduate student, don't go dig wells. Figure out how RNA can help, uh, for example, develop a COVID vaccine and stick with it. So um, find a problem and solve it. Make sure it's an immediate problem get the appropriate mentorship and help, and then go on to the second problem once you've done what you can on the first thing. So it's not that you only do one thing your whole life, but make it more sequential than parallel and go to more and more significant, more and more complicated, more and more difficult problems as you go along. And for you, how did you make this decision to transition from being in medicine? You know, you have your background in internal medicine to a policymaker and then a global health leader. How did you, how, how, what was that ladder like? You know, I really remember one particular patient who had, I think, a crystallizing effect. I was doing my internship in, in a hospital in Toronto. She was in her 30s. And unfortunately and sadly, she had widespread cervical cancer. And I realized that we were all focused on the medical team as to what the phosphorus level in her blood was. And we were rattling off 15 causes of low phosphorus level in her blood. But when it came to whether or not she would be resuscitated, you know, have CPR when her heart stopped, we didn't really have an equally disciplined way to go about that. And so I thought to myself, even if you thought low phosphorus in the blood and death were similar problems, and of course they're not, quality end-of-life care is a very, very significant, then um, there was work to do in that problem. And so that made me realize that one was working one patient at a time, but also there was a larger unsolved problem in terms of, in terms of quality end-of-life care. And that's the moment, really, at which I decided to focus in what I initially focused on, which is bioethics and the problem of -of end-of-life care, and in particular, improving the quality of -of end-of-life care. And how did you develop your why and your purpose from that pivotal moment in your career? How did you ground yourself in understanding that what you were about to do and and 
and leave medicine in the way that you did, how did you figure out that it was the right decision? See, I don't ever think I left medicine. <laughs> I think I'm still in it. Yes. Um, but, you know, the great thing about uh, medicine is you can do it in so many different ways. I always saw medical school as the best liberal arts education. Maybe I shouldn't say the best because there's pretty good ways of liberal arts. But I always thought about it as a type of liberal arts degree. And especially when you're meeting people and caring for them when they're sick because there's no better way to learn about humanity, about people, about human foibles, than to care for them when they're vulnerable, when they're sick. And there's no better way actually to learn about yourself. And so I never, I don't think I really ever uh, left medicine, but I think what your question is to, is to do with is, um, you know, focusing from a more domestic focus to a more global focus. and. Again, I remember a crystallizing moment. I was working in bioethics. I was in South Africa at a time just before the end of apartheid. And we, what I was doing there was doing a visiting course in bioethics and at a university there. And we went to kind of urban settlement outside of Cape Town and we went to the health clinic there. And I looked around and there was like nothing there no medicines, very few staff. And I thought to myself, wow, like this is a serious problem in justice. I had just been on service in Toronto and I could really see the stark difference. And that's how I went from that moment was really the moment that I thought that I might start to shift my focus from domestic issues alone and end of life care in teaching hospitals in the Toronto area, for example, or across Canada to issues in global health and in particular issues in global health equity. And how did you have the courage to dive into the world of global health at that moment? It's always a good idea to take some calculated risks and to transition. So I've really had three phases in my career after the training, and they've really gone in five to 10 year cycles. And what they all have in common is a desire to have impact. So I really think about myself as a social entrepreneur. The first phase was co-founding Bioethics Center, the University of Toronto Joint Center for Bioethics. And I described some of the issues there we worked on in end-of-life care and so on. And then towards the end of that, we started working on end-of-life care in global settings. And then, as I mentioned a moment ago, some of the broader issues of justice. And then I transitioned from, if you will, global health and ethics by the end of that time, to global health and science or innovation. And that was the second phase, Grand Challenges Canada, which I, I co-founded with the late uh, Joe Rotman and others. That was about essentially almost like a little mini Gates Foundation hooked up to the development envelope of Canada and supporting innovators all around the world. The time I was there, by the time I was there for 10 years, we'd supported uh, more than a thousand innovators in more than uh, 90 countries around the world really to solve their own problems, including uh, a lot of young people. And uh, so that was a gradual transition from bioethics, initially with end-of-life care, but migrating to global health, to then global health, but migrating to science, and then moving uh, in a third phase from global health and funding innovation, essentially, to global health in a large international organization, the World Health Organization, um, and developing, though, the same focus on impact, the same focus on results in support of Dr. Tedros that was there in the previous two, uh, um, two uh, periods. So what I'm really saying, just to cut to the quick, is 
um, that I did take risks going from one thing to the other. I always thought it was a good idea to change every 10 years. And out of all of the skills that you've learned along your three phases of your career, what would you say are the most, are the two most important skills we as young change makers should have and refine during entering the global health scene? Maybe let me list two skills that I think I wasn't terrific at when I was student, when I was younger, and I really, in retrospect, wish I'd been better at them. One is the skill of humility, maybe a little bit more of a characteristic than a skill. And certainly in global health, you know, it's so important to learn from people who are close to the problem. If you don't, that's called colonialism. And so the idea of enabling people in low and middle income countries to solve their own problems and learning from them, they're close to the problem, listening, understanding their own problems. The skill of humility is really, I think, a critical, critical skill. Secondly, is embracing failure. You know, and I wasn't great at this. It's important to embrace failure and accept feedback even when it's negative, you know, because that's how you improve. You improve by listening carefully to feedback from people you trust and addressing it in a non-defensive manner. So humility, embracing failure, accepting feedback, those are all related skills, attributes. And the reason I put them forward is those were things that I wasn't terrific at when I was a student, but over time learned how important those attributes were. And I think they would be great attributes for people to reflect upon. And would you say that one of the biggest things in shaping how you handle feedback is having a strong support system and having trust in your colleagues and trust in your mentors and having solid mentors that you really do rely on? Mentorship is so important, you know, and so is teamwork the two things that you mentioned. I would encourage everybody to say, okay, what do I think I want to be doing in 10 years? And you don't have to get it right, by the way. You just have to be directionally correct. And what do I want to be doing in 10 years? To think about who in the world is doing that now in a way that you find most inspiring. And then reach out to that person. And I bet you they'll be very, very happy to talk to you. And you can probably convert some of them into into mentors. You want to make sure that there's a diversity of mentors. You know, diversity in leadership and leaning out is, is so important, but mentorship is very important as is, as is teamwork. So I think both those things are really important, would really encourage people to reflect. Most people, I think, don't have enough mentors and don't have enough mentors that are diverse enough and don't have enough mentors that are close enough to what young people themselves want to be doing 10 years from now. I can definitely relate to that, especially as a student in the global health program here at McMaster. This year has been so pivotal in feeling confident in going forward and finding mentors for myself and being willing to accept feedback has been such a huge moment for me this year. And I'm sure a lot of my colleagues can agree as well. And I guess my thinking Let's shift towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Now, you were probably a part of the process in creating these goals, seeing how it moved forward. What do you think young professionals should be focusing on in regards to putting these recommendations into action? I think what's really important, Shania, and it's a really terrific question, is to realize that these goals are universal. In other words, they affect all communities, all people in all countries. And so it's not, you know, us and them. It's us. And um, 
in that regard, you know, I kind of come back to the earlier advice, the story of where right in front of my face, there were people on an internal medicine ward who were at the end of their lives. And I could have focused better or more quickly on that immediate issue. Similarly, on the sustainable development goals, you can start right here in Canada. I mean, think, for example, of our Indigenous communities. And of course, there's uh, nothing about us without us. There are issues right here in Canada that maybe are immediately accessible to people. And you don't have to travel to rural Africa to be addressing the sustainable development goals. So it kind of devolves onto the same issue, which is uh, find the problem closest to you that you're best situated to solve. And just and just get going and solve it, or go, get as far as you can, and then go on to the next one. And it's that sequential problem solving yeah. that I think will help sharpen everyone's approach. And and it's great to think about this when you're kind of at the beginning of your career and think about your future trajectory as a series of problems that you can solve. You know, I had some great advice once from a terrific Canadian by the name of John Evans who was actually the founding dean of the uh, medical school at McMaster and really a great Canadian. And he said to me once, when I was in one of these transitions I mentioned, and I was reaching out and seeking mentorship, actually, to link a few ideas in our conversation. He said, you know, it doesn't matter what it says on the outside of your tombstone. It matters what it says on the inside of your tombstone. And what he meant by that is what problems you've solved and what benefits you've helped to enable. And so I think, you know, for everyone listening, just think about that future trajectory and think, think about it not in terms of what's my career, what's my title, what's my this, what's my... Think about it in terms of the problems you can solve and the difference that you can make and the good that you can bring to the world, especially in this time when we've had such a difficult year in 2020 because of COVID and at a time when there is now hope. And I think the concrete thing that we have to remember is to make global change, it needs to start locally. And if it doesn't, we really won't be as progressive as we will hope. And, you know, what do you believe is the most important issue we should be focusing on internationally to move our globe forward? And, you know, not necessarily COVID-19 related, but key tactics that we can do as a nation. You know, it's interesting because you asked me about focusing on two or three problems at the same time. And I said, focus on one, solve it go on to the next one. When it comes to these global challenges and key issues, um, in other words, when we move from the personal, what individual, to the global, if you will, what are the global challenges? I, I think it's really important to recognize how interconnected they are. So um, each individual, each organization might pick one uh, to focus on. Um, so, for example, in Grand Challenges Canada, we picked the problem of global mental health because it was so neglected. And we knew that with you know, a relatively limited amount of funds relative to the size of the problem, we could actually make some significant inroads because it was so neglected. But when the question is, you know, what are the big global challenges, what big global challenge more generically, I would say the most important thing to realize is how interconnected they are, how interconnected is health and climate and conflict and finance and inequality. These uh, problems are all highly interconnected, which is why the SDGs, the focus of your program, not only are they universal, but they're highly interconnected and you can't pick one or we can't pick one as a world, shall we say, and, and solve it. You really have to see them as an interconnected set of global challenges. 
You know, one thing I think about is that the world and the world issues are a puzzle and each country, each nation, and each person is an actual piece of the puzzle. And so the only way to solve the master puzzle is to come together as an entire globe and work together, solving all of the small and large issues that exist. And when you see it like that, you see it as a map, you see it as one real problem made of 10 million complex smaller issues, like you had mentioned. So I think it's just understanding all of them, but at the same time, choosing one and focusing on one and using your energy 100% to that one issue at a time. And okay, so moving forward, how has COVID-19 changed the global health landscape and what makes you hopeful? I think that what COVID-19 has really done is shone a very bright light on inequality. Of course, everyone knew that inequality was an issue. It talked about leaving no one behind in the sustainable development goals. But COVID has really shone a bright light on the pre-existing social inequalities in our societies. The People at greatest risk of COVID are people of low income, racialized communities, essential health workers, often low wage, who have to go and do kind of face-to-face service work. Even in Canada, the inequalities have really been highlighted, let alone around the world. And that also brings us to both the hope and the challenge of 2021. So 2020 has not been a terrific year. 2021 actually offers hope. And it offers hope because of some of these recent advances in vaccines. It's just amazing to have vaccines within one year of actually an epidemic being notified. WHO first heard of COVID and wasn't called COVID then, but we first heard of the outbreak on December 31st, 2019, just less than, actually almost exactly a year ago. And, uh, you know, to have at this point more than 200 vaccines in the pipeline, more than 50 in human trials, more than uh, about a dozen in late stage trials, uh, a few already authorized in various countries in the world. That's an amazing accomplishment. We used to think it took 15 years to develop a vaccine. So really an amazing accomplishment. At the same time, that's also going to pose the defining challenge of 2021, that hope. And the defining challenge of 2021 will be vaccine equity. It's going to be the rollout of the vaccine, which is a daunting logistical exercise. And in particular, how equal that is. Mm-hmm. You know, that affects not only lives, but also livelihoods. The only way to solve the economic challenge is to solve the public health challenge. We're already seeing images, smiling images, which are wonderful. Um, We haven't yet seen images of health workers in Angola or in Zambia being vaccinated. They're taking on, these are heroes, health workers. They're 3% of the world population, 14% of the COVID cases. They've taken on risk to serve their communities and in some cases paid the ultimate price. And that doesn't change whether you're in Angola or whether you're in Canada. And we owe health workers and essential workers access to the vaccine. And we owe it to people at risk around the world. And so the defining challenge of 2021 is contained in the hope at the end of 2020, and that's vaccine equity. And what I would say to young people is raise your voice. Raise your voice for equity. Call out the inequities you see in vaccine distribution. Raise your voice for equity. Be a champion for equity. Because at the end of the day, equity is in our hands. Equity is in your hands. And this, I think, is both the hope and the challenge going forward. And I'm sure we can all 
understand that awareness is key right now. So awareness and our actions related to COVID-19, as well as in our classroom or in our learning or in our hope that we are trying to identify during this process and during the new year. Now, what is one quote that you live by and why? To end us off here today. I mean, one quote that I've thought about a lot this year is is the following. The arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. And that's a quote from the Reverend Martin Luther King. And it relates to what we were talking about before, which is the inequities, the inequalities that have really been laid bare by COVID. And uh, so I think what COVID is actually shown us is the importance of the importance of equity, the importance of justice, the importance of solidarity, because the only way to tackle a global challenge like COVID is to tackle it together. And this year has also shown me a new respect for the multilateral system and for the World Health Organization, frankly, and a critical role of these global institutions in tackling COVID and in accelerating back towards the sustainable development goals. You know, we we were behind before COVID on reaching the 2030 sustainable development goals. We are way further off track now, which means the world needs to accelerate back, which means we all need to work even more closely together to accomplish that. And again, this is where young people, I think, have a key role. I am inspired by the work of young people, and I just really want to wish all your listeners, all the people listening to this podcast, a very, very happy new year. It is going to be a better year to come. There is going to be a spring and summer that's much brighter and where COVID will be receding. But before that, we're passing through a COVID winter, so please don't let your guard down. But but to all young people, I mean, the SDGs are you. This is going to be 2030, and that's 10 years from now. So imagine yourself 10 years from now. Imagine what you will want to have accomplished. Imagine what you will want the world to have accomplished. And that's what the SDGs are about. They're not some abstract thing. They are you and your accomplishments and what problems you've solved and our collective accomplishments as a world working together to make a greener, more prosperous, more equal more healthy, more fair world, which we can only do together. And we can only do powered by the energy and enthusiasm of young people like you. Yes. And I, I definitely think that COVID-19 has allowed us to shed light on the inequities that exist. And I think maybe inspire us in a way to take action and lead a movement in our very own community and, and believe that you have the power to do so and you have a voice and you should be using it. And I think everyone listening here today probably is leaving this episode feeling empowered and feeling like they do have a position in this globe and they may feel small, but every single person is a piece of the puzzle. Absolutely. And I would particularly call upon women, people from diverse communities, racialized communities to take up the mantle of leadership that you merit because we need a broad representation in leaders, in youth. And that's actually the most, uh, I think, productive and constructive way to solve the problems of the world. So again, I'm just very inspired by young people and, and uh, by a diverse array of young people. And let's, let's do this together. These are problems that we can solve one problem at a time. We'll find a problem, we'll solve it, and then they're place because of you. Thank you, Dr. Peter Singer, for being on the show today, offering us your advice and your inspiration and your story and giving us 
a glimpse of hope 100% going into the new year and going into 2021 and season two of the Global Health Collective. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Naya.